Tonight, we sit with Venice. The Sit With Warriors podcast originated with the concept of simply that. The idea of when you sit with warriors, the conversation is different. And when someone put it to me that way, I really sat and reflected on how many incredible women, women warriors, leaders, heroines, mentors, badass women that I think would be incredibly inspiring for others to hear from. So we put forth this podcast in the hopes of sharing stories of authenticity and of inspiration. All the guests I have on the podcast will share with you real and authentic stories of love and life and laughter, of moments of transition, of moments of triumph, of those moments of aha, and perhaps some of the lowest. But they're all here to share and for us to sit together. So I ask, will you share with us and sit with us? Tonight, we sit with Venice. I want to welcome a friend and honored guest warrior today to sit with us, the incredible Venice, who is here with us to share <laughs> her wicked insights. I can tell you that, kids. Yeah, you either love me or you hate me. There's no in between, that's for sure. Which brings us to actually our topic today, which is about being completely, unquestionably authentic. Mm. The important part of that for me, Jordan, mm -hmm. is in public as well as in private. That's the big one for me because it's so much easier to be who you are or who you think you are or who others think you should be when you're alone. To actually go out in the world and be consistent, whether you're in anyone's company, whether you're by yourself at home or you're in a crowd of people, to be the same consistent being and show up that way 100% of the time. And that's key. It really is. It's hard sometimes. Yes. And more so in the beginning, I think. Like, I pretty much now, I don't know how to be. And I don't want to know how to be any way but 100% all the time. But when I first started doing that work, it was really uncomfortable. You know, it's interesting because I said to you, oh, I don't want to do you know, fucking child stuff or whatever it was. I said, no, I don't want to go back there. But, you know, when I go back and I look at where it started, I started not being authentic, obviously, long before I realized that I was. When I really started to make a decision that I wanted to be a different person in my life than I was showing up as, it was when I was about 20. And so I had my daughter when I was 20. And I separated mm -hmm. from her dad shortly after. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at 20 years old, it's really easy to chase after community, to chase yep. after, you know, a sense of like belonging or a social presence in a social group that you want to be a part of. And, you know, I had one day off. I had one day a week where I didn't have my daughter and I would, I don't want to say I would chase after it, but I was always the one messaging. I was always the one kind of like tagging along because for the most part, all of these people that I influenced myself to believe were my quote unquote friends were socializing with one another all of the time. 
not just right. one day a week, right? So I would chase after that on the one day off a week that I had. And I would be the one texting and I would be the one like, I want to say like harassing if I look back on it, right? And this one Friday night came and I didn't. I said, you know what, Venice, if you don't message them, are they going to message you? And like the, the sort of leader of this group was my neighbor. She literally, like I could see her room from my room. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you can just pretend that you don't fucking know that I'm like around, right? So I'm like, yep. if you don't message them, how long is it going to take? Are they going to message you? Yes. That Friday night, nope. The next day, nope. The next week, nope. How about a month later? Nope. What was interesting about it, Jordan, is it was the very first time where I had to recruit discipline in order to sit in truth. And the Whoa. discipline of it was they don't give a fuck about me. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't give a fuck about me. That's the truth. If they give a fuck about me, she would have come and knock on my fucking door. She would have given me a text. She would have done something. And maybe if she didn't do it like that night, then maybe like the next night or the night after that, or maybe the one after that, mm -hmm. yes. you know, but that discipline to be like, no Venice, cause you, you get, you get seduced by the emotional reassurance that you feel, even if you're the one reaching out, yes. the reassurance that you feel when you get responded to. And it's a fucking lie. If you're always the one reaching out and the other person isn't, then it's really a lie about the importance that you are in that relationship. And so what that started for me, and so bear in mind, I'm 20, right? Like I'm 48 now. So that was almost 30 years ago. But what it started was this journey of what is truth? Yeah. What is truth? And if the truth hurts, what is it about the suffering that mm -hmm. I need to find some peace with? And that started the whole, who am I? What is the purpose? You know, here I am, 20 years old, basically at home with a baby by myself, essentially no friends, people that I had lied to myself about that were my friends, clearly demonstrating that they're not. This commitment to not release myself from the discomfort of that reality. The mm -hmm. discomfort of that reality being, they don't like you. The bottom line was they don't like you. And so I had to really look at who I was, what I was, you know, what I believed about myself, what I thought others believed about me and all of those things, I'll call them. Right. So how do I get to the place today where like, I don't give a fuck 30 years of discipline, 30 years yeah. of honesty, 30 years of moving out of denial about who I was and what I was and what I stood for and who liked me and who didn't like me and whether or not I cared about whether they liked me or not and the judgment of others and the role that it plays in my life and all of those things to really refine and define like, who am I? What are my system of values? What's the extent to which I'm prepared to defend those through my convictions and my actions ensuring yes. that those convictions and those actions align because in my opinion the greatest inconsistency that i see is 
these are my values, someone says, and this is the way I behave, which is completely and totally in contravention to what it is they're proclaiming their system of values are. Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt, we have to be in alignment in all areas of our life, not just the ones that serve our ego or our human. Yeah, yeah, our ego. That's probably, mm-hmm. the, that's the big one. But certainly, I'm an ego maniac. In a, a community that I'm a part of, we talk about our quote unquote defects of character. And essentially, it's a, you know, it's a way to sort of summarize the parts of ourself that get in the way of yeah. our actions being in alignment with who and how we want to show up in the world. So these defects of character. And my greatest defect of character is my ego. Ego good, ego quote bad, although I don't believe in good and bad, right or wrong. No. Is I've developed and learned how to drop those associations because at the end of the day, they're all just judgments anyways. And the number one key for me in being authentic 100% of the time is moving away from there being any kind of judgment in any component of my life. Now, does that mean I'm not discerning? Absolutely not. I'm one of the most discerning fucking people I know. But the work to differentiate between discernment and judgment is at the core of my capacity to show up authentically. Because when you remove judgment, anyone who's going to respond to whatever part of you that it is that you're worried when you act inauthentically that someone Mm -hmm. else is going to judge you about well if you're living a judgment-free life then the only reason they would not respond to you in a positive way is because of their own judgments because of their own system of values because of their own desire to interpret you in order to contextualize their own self. And that's really, for me, what the judgment factor is, is if I can take the judgment out of my life for myself and for others, then I can stand up and say, hey, whatever it is that you've got a problem with about me actually isn't me. That's right, as a reflection of their own character and their own teachings in this lifetime. Absolutely. The idea of judgment is such a key one because it's one that really, unfortunately, is people's path in the majority of their time on this planet is they're navigating around the fear or assumption of judgment. You cannot love and judge someone in the same breath. Mm-hmm. If you are sitting in judgment, if you are sitting in that in that reflection and it is anything but love coming out of you, you have to, like you said, sit and reevaluate the why. What is this really about? And the reality is that everyone is on their own path and their own journey. And so the more cheerleaders, the more support, the more love we can have for each other, you know, that's this ascension process. That's what I think this really is about in the human experience. So the way that I identify love, I identify mm-hmm. love as a state of being. Yes, fair. So it isn't, it isn't a feeling, it isn't an emotion, it's a way of showing up. Like my mm-hmm. responsibility in this lifetime is to be mm-hmm. love, to be it for me and to be it for you and to be it for everyone and everything mm-hmm. that I can possibly be it in a day. And the yes. reality is, if I focus on being love, yes, then the tendency or the temptation to be judgmental falls mm-hmm. away. 
correct? Yes. Right? Because as yes. you've said, they cannot exist simultaneously. So, That's right. So the other piece about it for me that I've learned is a really good strategy for change is mm-hmm. not like I don't want to be judgmental. Yeah. I want to be and exist and show up as love. And if that is my mantra, if that is my focus, if that is my discipline, because it's not fucking easy, especially because we are all human. And at the core of that is the capacity to be injurious to one another. Agreed. Right. And so for me, it used to be my mom calls it the wrath of Venice. It was ugly and it certainly wasn't love, you know, but if I was on the receiving end of your humanness you better fucking look out like you better look out so like as i moved into being love i naturally gravitated away from the suffering whatever it was that used to cause me to suffer no longer had an effect and it isn't that necessarily the dynamics of my life changed a whole lot for sure there are things that have happened in my life that have been challenging more challenging or less challenging than others but Mm -hmm. at the core of it all the closer I get to being the essence of love as often as I can the less suffering there is at the hands of everyone else that goes hand in hand with getting back to what the subject matter was because I can easily get off on a tangent but you know (laughs) about being authentic you know tying it all back into the idea that authenticity me being able to show up and you know me you're never going to see me being inconsistent and it is the good news and the bad news because Mm -hmm. people that don't want to acknowledge truth people that struggle with a capacity to like to not be in denial because it's undesirable for them to look at it really want no part of me. They find me very offensive. They don't like my energy. They don't like the way I talk. They don't like how matter of fact I am. They can't handle the fucking truth of the shit and you know, whatever. But the ones that want it, gravitate to it. The people that actually want to be more courageous and it does take courage. And that was the other piece about the text message that I sent you. Mm-hmm. Is that courageous part of being able to see yourself in truth, to strip away the layers of denial and self-deception and all the lies, all the filters that we add onto the pile over the years in order to be able to look ourselves in the mirror. When you start to strip those away, this is the shit comes up, the shame, the guilt, like all the other things. And and you want to kind of put those filters back in because it makes it easier to tolerate yourself. (laughs) But the reality is if you can sift through it all, if you can actually sit in whatever truth has presented itself, whatever the veil of denial that has been lifted, and you can see yourself as you actually are and come to terms with it, then you become free of that. You become liberated from it. And when we start to become liberated from all the veils of our past until eventually there aren't anymore, You know, eventually through the work that you want to do, if you can actually be honest with yourself, comes liberation to be authentic. Until those moments, until those veils get lifted, 
you still sit in the lies. And as long as you're sitting in the lies, there's no way to be inconsistent in the authenticity with which you show up in. You know, and I think that's a key part of this is the idea of really, really sitting in that ugly truth. Like I said, I think of it like a mud puddle. It's like, you better sit in that thing and you better get Mm. real comfortable with it. And when you've had enough and when you're ready to pull yourself out of it, wipe yourself off and deal with things is when you truly feel there's shift. That idea of being authentic, of being love, as you've talked about, of the liberation of having to release that expectation of others. It's huge. I love the word liberated. That's probably the greatest gift of being authentic, the sense of of liberation that I have. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to private schools. I have very conservative parents and all of the things. And I mean, I love my mom, dad, don't get me wrong. But getting out from underneath the system of values that weren't mine. I had a lot of struggles and suffering at the hand of values that were not mine. They were my mom and dad's. And so when I say liberated, Mm -hmm. on the other side of courage to be like, well, wait a minute, that's them. And thank you for raising me with, you know, the sense of like moral conviction and all the things that you believe in. I'm grateful that I have that. You know, I'm obsessed with these like serial killer shows and shit on Netflix. And 99% of the time, these people have not had stability and guidance and all of the things that I was so fortunate to have, you know? So I'm grateful for that and all of the things. But there came a point in time when I realized I probably didn't get out from under my parents' system of values completely until I was like in my 30s. And I remember how it happened. I had was on the beach. I was on the nude beach, which even of itself, I couldn't believe how much courage, you know, like I I literally had anxiety about going to the nude beach. Why do I have anxiety about going to the nude beach? I have anxiety about going to the nude beach because my parents' values are that that was not an appropriate thing to do. To my sense of values, it was exciting and it was liberating and it was like all of the things. Was was there a piece of it that was rebellious? Mm. Only in so much as, how am I going to break it to my mom and dad? And I remember how I broke it to my mom and dad is like, I was on the fucking nude beach and I took this like pretty racy picture of myself. And I put it up as my wallpaper photo, you know, not the profile picture on Facebook, but whatever the other photo is that you have. I put up this racy photo, like naked, like very suggestive photo of myself on the fucking beach in Hawaii. And I can't remember what the caption was, but like, I remember my heart beating super fast and all the things. And I remember the only reason that my heart was really beating super fast is because I was afraid of what my parents were going to say. And I went over to my mom's house because they live in Hawaii too. I said, I got to tell you, I changed my profile picture on Facebook and I'm just giving you a heads up. You're not going to like it. Should it take courage for us to have to stand up for our own values, for the things that are true for us? Should it? I don't know. I don't believe in should, could, would, what if, but it does. We are conditioned as members of a society. We are conditioned and influenced by everything that came before the moment when we decide that we don't want to be influenced by them anymore. And that's when we really start to be able to develop an identity. When I started to really develop that identity, was when I started to be more courageous and being authentic. When I started to really face 
the fears as you have talked about and to like go why am I feeling this way the whys and the whys are only available to us to understand if we have determined that we're going to get out from under the lies out from under the denial out from under the self-deception that we're going to say I'm not going to accept these misbeliefs about myself anymore. I'm going to do the soul searching, find out who I am, and then recruit the courage that it takes, no matter what, to stand in that. And it's one little piece at a time. Isn't like all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, I don't give a fuck what anybody fucking thinks or what anybody says or who likes me or who doesn't like me. I'm this convicted full expression of self and convictions and beliefs and all. You don't just go from, you know, what I was to that overnight. We pick each little thing one at a time and we work on it until there's no work left to be done. And then we move on. And when there's no work left to be done, what we were isn't any longer what we are because what we are now as we show up in our lives and walk through our days is that authentic expression of who we have identified ourselves to be through the reflection that we've done in experiences like I just described. Why do I feel so uncomfortable putting up this picture? Why am I taking on these values that don't belong to me? And how can I find the courage to stand in what is true for me, even though I knew that for all intents and purposes, it was going to injure my mother. Like her injury to my post was real for her. Yep. But I had decided that what was real and true for me was the priority in my life over what was real and true for her. And it took me 40 fucking years. It's incredible, though, the fact that you had that brave heart and that epiphany and that turning point. You turning know, point. Oh, we have this awakening. If we choose, if we're open, if we are courageous, we have the opportunity to have an awakening. Mm-hmm. And that awakening for me became the cornerstone of mm-hmm. all the awakenings that came after it of all the shifts that came after it was that one moment, just like way back when I was 20 in that one day when I said, if I don't, if I don't call and it took months, like back then in the, and when I was in my twenties, every single day I had to withstand the temptation to be the one to reach out. Mm -hmm. My ego, as we've talked about, my ego wanted to be satisfied. But I knew because of that first night when nobody called, that whatever those temptations were, were just lies of my ego. Yes. You know, they were just my Mm -hmm. ego trying to trick me, trying to seduce me into not sitting in the sadness, the loneliness, the insecurity, all the things that came along, the rejection. You know, I mean, that was the real big one, right? Was that sense of reject, you know, child stuff that you talked about before. Like this shit goes way back. The sense of rejection goes back as far as I can remember. Mm -hmm. But that was the first one as an adult where I went, how do I take back my power so that I don't feel this way? Taking the message, the teaching, and I'm moving forward. I'm fortunate to have tapped into a very strong constitution and capacity for discipline Mm -hmm. at quite a 
a youthful age, I want to say, right? In in my late mm-hmm. teens and early 20s, I started to actually be able to like recruit discipline in order to act in alignment with whatever it is that I had determined was important to me at the time. And and through the years as I've focused on one thing and then another and then another and then another. I mean, you know, even even up to and including my issues with substance abuse and addiction and all of those things, right? The capacity that I have to make a decision and then to follow through with that is a true gift. But when I actually really started to experience the gifts that come as the result of it was that moment back in, you know, that would have been like 1996. I think a lot of listeners will be like, well, I don't have it. I can't do it. All these things. And I read a really interesting excerpt the other day about self-control and a lack of control is a lack of self-authenticity. Because if you truly know yourself, it doesn't take control to handle it. Actually truly know you, right? You know what you need. You truly listen to your heart. You listen to what your, your spirit, your etheric being, whatever you want to think of it like you know, to bring it forward. And it's the idea that discipline comes with being truthful to your authentic self. And I think that's something that you've really brought up throughout our talk today. On the heels of that, you're absolutely right. Because the reality is, if you are incapable of the discipline to action, whatever it is that you say you want, the bottom line is you don't really want it. So you can say to yourself and to everyone else, again, here's this component of being authentic. The nature of denial and self-deception was one of the most monumental epiphanies, realizations, whatever I ever had in my whole life. Mm -hmm. Because I was living with the belief, and I'm not going to get into the details of it right now, but I was no. living in, in, in the belief of something so strongly that I was behaving in a way that was real, that that was my reality. Mm-hmm. And it was a third party that unveiled the lie for me. The fallout of all of that became this ability to accept how cunning self-deception can be and then be able to use that understanding in every other instance moving forward to reflect and determine whether it was true or it was a lie so when someone says i just don't have the discipline you actually do we all have within us the capacity for everything and so if what it is that you want continues to elude you the bottom line is that you really just don't want it. If it's truly meant to, everything's in alignment that you need to be, whatever that looks like. And I talk about this on the table often. It, comfort is a crutch, right? And when people say, I don't have the discipline, mm. the self-control, you know, it's out of my comfort zone. It's like, yeah, absolutely it is. Because you, you have to get there to be able to feel the change and embrace the evolution. Like I always say, when a snake is shedding off its skin, that is really damn uncomfortable. Like it is a struggle for that snake. You and I both know that when that snake skin comes off, it is like a whole new being. Mm-hmm. And that is like the unveiling of our ego, the unveiling of our truth, you know, the idea of sitting in discernment. It's like, what am I truly about? 
what is my true foundational set? Use the word values. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's the idea of getting to know yourself, getting to know your true self. And that takes, as you said, discipline and uncomfortableness and the idea of sitting with yourself and getting real about the version or the lies that you've been telling yourself for a very, very long time for a lot of us. Or others have been telling you. Yes, exactly. Or versions of other people. Right? Like I said, yeah, all the time. You know, we are our best version every day when we awake. You know, our, our, this is the best version you've ever been. No matter what's going on in your life, you have the capacity to make this absolutely ideal for you and your human experience. We are the makers of our own. We are. And we are on this beautiful path we are. But I love the fact that you brought up so many thought-provoking things. And I think a lot of our listeners are really going to resonate with a lot of these concepts. It's the ugly stuff, kids. Well, <laughs> and that brings up the next topic for me, which is how much, you know, I love and find you inspiring. And I know you and I could sit here and talk for hours about a lot of these, a lot of these sort of juicy, deep, ugly talk. But like we've said, if you are actually are really truly wanting to evolve and have an awakening and move through this life in a, in a really positive, elevated, loving experience, I think this is stuff that you absolutely have to sit with. There's no way around it. Well, and you know, Jordan, I can speak freely today about things like defects of character. I can talk about times in my life when I've behaved in ways that later on, like the, the degree of shame mm -hmm. that I felt for the things that I had done, I no longer suffer. Yes. I can look yeah. back and say, wow, there was a time when I felt shame. Like the ways that I made my daughter suffer, for example, when I was in the throes of my addiction. I am free of the shame and the guilt today. I can look back on those circumstances and situations mm -hmm. and recognize what it was. I don't lie to myself about it. She and I can talk about it openly. I can share about it openly, but I have no guilt and shame. Does it make me cry sometimes when I think about what she missed, how she experienced her life in those moments? 100%. But I know that at that moment, I was not able. And the work that I did around it started with the ability to actually be honest and face the truth of what I had done. Yes. And as long as I had, you know, would have chosen to continue to lie to myself or ignore it or sweep it under the rug or like go on along my life, either this way I was going or in a different way or as a lesser authentic version of myself or whatever, then the shame and the guilt would have hung on like a barnacle. Mm -hmm. But when I faced it, when I acknowledged it, when I admitted it, when I sat in it, on the other side of that was the freedom from it. And I don't have any it anymore. And people might even judge that. They'll go, how can you not feel shameful about the fact that you fucking, you know, that you were a crackhead when your daughter was like 10, you know? Well, maybe you should look at your judgment of me instead of me continuing to suffer at my own hand. I love your authenticity and I love your honesty because it's so true. And it's the truth, everyone listening, listeners out there, it is. This is not easy work. No, it's not. It is so, so worth it. And, and it I gets agree. easier. It does, yes. It gets it easier does. the more that you do it because yeah. the farther away you get from the burdens of the guilt and the shame and the, you know, all the negative sort of like, like 
things that come up as the result of looking at this stuff on the other side of it when when all of that negative emotion doesn't exist anymore now you have freedom and i agree with you it is that sense of if anything is going to motivate you and that doesn't i don't know what will then again i really want to thank venice for coming to sit with us today and for sharing her very brave and courageous story thank you so much for the invite absolutely thank you my friend <laughs> <laughs>